All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I am giving you my review of the Falcons edge rushers in 2018. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. have been covering the Falcons for many years at Falcons.com, on Twitter, at Falcons, and of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast. Today, we are finally getting to the Edge Rusher review in our continuing series about uh, the Falcons 2018 roster and sort of looking back at the various position groups and giving my assessment of the various players at each position group and somewhat looking ahead to somewhat what many of these guys are going to be and asked to do in 2019. Uh, we, you know, had to take a break a little bit for a couple of days uh, due to some roster cuts that the Falcons were making. You can definitely go back and listen to the last two days worth of episodes to get my reactions to the Robert Alford, Matt Bryant, and Brooks Reed cuts. And, uh, you know, today's episode, we will talk about Vic Beasley, and probably at least half of this episode will be talking about Vic Beasley. But I do want to point you back, guys back to Monday's episode where I talked quite extensively about sort of Big Beasy's contract situation. So I do think if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I mean, you can continue to listen to this one if it's convenient for you to pause and go listen to Monday's episode and then come back and listen to this one and do it. Whatever you got to do. But I would just basically recommend listen to both of those episodes to get a more complete picture. Um, before we get into it, I do want to say I could probably spend like two hours talking about Vic Beasley if I really wanted to, but I've sort of tried to condense it to the main bullet points I want to express on this episode. Um, and I'm sure at a later date, because it, you know, it seems likely that Vic Beasley will remain a Falcon in 2019, um, that, uh, we will, you know, have opportunities to talk more about Vic Beasley over the next six months. So, uh, you know, and, and maybe even over the next six weeks. So, um, that is what I want to say up front, and let's jump in and talk about Tack McKinley. And I thought, you know, Tack got off to a pretty good start in 2018 um, and then finished pretty strong, but it was really the middle portion of the season uh, where he you didn't necessarily see the, the level of production that I think a lot of us were hoping to see. You know, you could argue that his performances against Arizona and Carolina in weeks 15 and 16 were the two best performances of the season. He also had a pretty dominant performance. Uh, against Cincinnati in week four. That was one of those games that we got the opportunity. I think maybe the first time we got to see him rush uh, inside, um, you know, and I think coming off the heels of that game, people sort of expected Tack to sort of continue to maintain that level of play throughout the rest of the season. And then we we just didn't really see that outside of maybe one game or so over like the next, you know, six to eight weeks or whatever until the end of the year. You know, I think that's, Sort of the, you know, if you could have gotten a little bit more consistency from Tech, um, you know, it wasn't that he was a non-factor, a complete non-factor during that middle portion of the season, but it just wasn't living up to the expectations. Um, but again, going back to sort of his opportunities rushing from the interior, you know, that was something that the Falcons then featured again at the end of the season, sort of with their, you know, NASCAR package where it was Bruce Irvin and Vic Beasley on the edges and, and Tack alongside Grady Jarrett on the inside. And I suspect that we're going to see that role continue for Tack into um, 2019. And, you know, I mentioned sort of on our D-line uh, review 
um, that, you know, the Falcons have been sort of eagerly looking for a Michael Bennett type of player. And I think there's a decent chance that the Falcons, or at least, you know, whether you think Tack McKinley is that type of player, um, you know, I think the Falcons will probably just, instead of trying to get that guy again this offseason, I think the Falcons will probably just say, well, Tack is our Michael Bennett and move forward in that regard. So, um, you know, one of the things I thought, and I'd have to really double check my notes, but at least my initial assessment from the eyeball test was one of the reasons why I thought Tack played a little bit better down the stretch was I think he was a little bit more willing to use his power than just purely relying on his speed rush, which I thought maybe he did a little bit too much during that middle portion of the season when his production wasn't quite up to par. Um, I don't really think speed is going to be Tack's go-to move. Uh, moving forward, I do think a mix of power and, um, you know, his ability to sort of have counter moves and use his length and his leverage. Um, and and it, the, the main thing for Tack to sort of make the step that I think he needs to, I think he does need to refine his footwork a little bit. But I think the main thing is he needs to work on his hands and really have and know how to use those. And particularly with his length, you know, his hands could be a great asset for him moving forward if he can develop those a little bit better. Um, so I think, you know, if he can do that, then if you look at 2018 and say, you know, he had five to six sort of good impactful games as a pass rusher, I think if he can improve the hands, refine things a little bit as a, as a technician and whatnot, then that could that number could double and maybe we could look in 2019 and say, okay, at 10 to 12, sort of impact games as a pass rusher. So um, I think there's reasons to be optimistic with Tack. You know, part of the reason why I wasn't necessarily as high as other people were going into this season with sort of Tack having this breakout double-digit sack season that a lot of people seem to be predicting during the offseason was typically my experience has taught me that pass rushers, particularly guys that aren't necessarily really refined with their hand use coming out of college, typically take the better part of three years before they really start to understand how to use their hands. And typically that's also the reason why most pass rushes with the exception of, of, of a handful of elite guys and a, a couple of exceptions here or there, most guys don't really hit their stride in the NFL until their third season in the NFL. And that's sort of what I sort of thought going into last season with Tack, and was one of the reasons why I wasn't necessarily as keen on the Falcons having this, you know, high level pass rush. And one of the reasons why I wasn't as keen as sort of the Falcons defense making this massive leap that so many others had predicted. And I'm hopeful um, that, you know, in 2019, now in year three for Tack, that, that the leap that people thought would happen next, last year um, will happen this year. And sort of, you know, the it, it seems like to me, we'll talk about this later, but it seems like to me that the Falcons are going to be similarly as they did last year, um, pretty much heavily reliant on sort of Jarrett, Vic, and um, Tack to sort of, you know, be the foundation of their pass rush um, going forward. I don't, I don't, you know, I think they will supplement it in free agency and in, in the draft, but I don't necessarily know if there's going to be like this big, huge splash that the Falcons are going to get somebody who's going to be looked at as sort of a quote-unquote alpha or lead dog type of pass rusher, certainly not in free agency. And then, you know, with rookies, you know, relying on those types of guys to sort of come in right away. And, you know, there's some options available in the draft that could potentially be that, but there's no guarantee that the Falcons will get one of those guys. So, you know, I'm I'm rambling a bit. But so the the point I'm basically saying is 
I think it makes a little bit more sense this year to sort of put, you know, your stock in, I guess, tack making the leap than it would have been last year. So we'll see if that winds up proving true. Um, we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about Bruce Irvin uh, in just a moment. But you guys know that the trade deadline has come and gone in the NBA, and you guys can get geared up on all things trade on the NBA side of the Locked On Podcast Network, where you can find a daily podcast devoted to all 30 NBA teams, including the Locked On Hawks podcast, hosted by Brad Rowland. Find that wherever you get your Locked On podcast, your team, every day. So let's talk about Bruce Irvin. I'm not going to spend much time, well, I'm not going to spend any time talking about Brooks Reed, because I talked about him on yesterday's episode when we the Falcons cut him, and I don't really have anything to add about his 2018 performance that I didn't say in that episode. And I'm not going to talk about Derek Shelby or Stephen Means, because I talked about those guys on what, Tuesday in the D-line um, review, uh, because I, I think those guys qualify a little bit more as quote-unquote interior defensive linemen than necessarily true edge players. So if you're curious what my thoughts are, on those guys and go back and listen to Tuesday's episode. But let's talk about Bruce Irvin, who is a legit edge guy. Um, you know, when the Falcons signed Bruce Irvin, a lot of people were happy, and I was just kind of like, uh, I don't know, Bruce Irvin's not that good. Uh, you know, he's kind of a lateral move along with Beasley. And, you know, well, at, you know, having another Beasley on the team is better than, you know, two Beasleys are better than one, I guess you could say. That type of player is not necessarily really going to move the needle as far as the Falcons' pass rush goes. And, you know, I would say the early, the first three or so games with Irvin on the team, that seemed to be true. I think he picked up play a little bit over the last four games that he played and and was getting a lot more reliable pressure. I still don't necessarily know if I would look at Bruce Irvin as a dynamic pass rusher. I think he's a guy that's ideally sort of your third wheel, third or fourth wheel in your pass rush. And as long as you have, you know, Khalil Mack or Michael Bennett or Cliff Averill, that caliber of pass rusher, you know, above him on sort of your hierarchy, you're going to be content with what he's doing in that role. Um, you know, it's fair to question whether the Falcons have that with Grady Jarrett and Tack McKinley quite yet. Although, as if you've listened to what I just said in previous episodes, that I think there's reason to be hopeful that maybe those guys can sort of grow into that. But, you know, I think... Um, Irvin was fine, uh, particularly, you know, I have much more positive opinion preserved now, uh, relative to Vic Beasley, which we'll touch upon a little bit later. Um, I, it'll be interesting to see sort of whether the Falcons can retain Bruce Irvin in free agency. Um, you know, I don't think it's a slam dunk. He's, he's an older player. He's 31. Um, it seems like we'll have to sort of see if Irvin is trying to become a true D end, which is what he's seemingly publicly at least stated he wanted to be in Oakland. But when he got to Atlanta, sort of he started out in that role, but then by the end of the season, the Falcons were sort of playing him that hybrid Sam uh, defensive end role that he, you know, played primarily in Seattle. And and then again, uh, when he first got to Oakland. Um, And I imagine if the Falcons did manage to retain him, that they would probably keep him in that role. Although there's a chance that they would sort of look at him and say, okay, now you're going to be the Leo for us. Uh, to replace Brooks Reed in the base defense, that's also an option as well. So I, I think the value of Irvin is his versatility um, that he can play. You can plug and play him in a, in a variety of roles in this defense. I don't necessarily know if you can plug and play him and expect a high level of production, but obviously, as he showed over the last month of the season, he can contribute something um, to your pass rush. So yeah, you know, I think he's better to have him than to not. 
but we'll have to sort of see if he can get a nice, decent payday on free agency. Um, I think because of, again, going back to what I said, where because of his age, um, I don't necessarily know if he's going to have a robust market. Plus, you, you couple that with the fact that I think there are a little bit more prominent edge rushers that are potentially available this offseason. So I do think the Falcons uh, have an above average chance of retaining him, but it's not certainly guaranteed. So, um, you know, for me, I, I guess the role I envision with Bruce Irvin is kind of redundant with the role I think is best suited for Vic Beasley. But I think the argument that you would make is that, like, because Irvin has that experience of playing that role for, you know, basically most of the last seven, eight years, um, you know, he's better suited to fill that role, at least in the short term, than maybe Beasley, who you're going to have to develop to sort of fit that sort of hybrid Sam defensive end role. More on that later in today's episode. And so the argument would be like, we'll get Bruce Irvin to man that spot for the next year or two. And all that time we can develop Vic Beasley and he can be sort of the long-term guy if we can sort of keep developing him for that role in the future. Um, you know, uh, you know, I don't necessarily know if that would be the plan I would enact if I was the GM, but like that's at least a plan. And I can't necessarily look at the Falcons and say that's the worst plan I've ever heard. I've, I've heard worse plans from the Falcons, so it's it's all it's all relative. <laughs> uh, so you know, for me, I guess like I think the Falcons could get a more dynamic pass rusher than what Irvin's going to bring, but because he can he can play the run, he can play some linebacker, he can rush the comp the quarterback pretty competently. I think the Falcons are going to value that sort of versatility and and potentially make it a priority to sort of resign him. Um, when, when free agency starts. And, and to me, if that's the case, then the question is going to be how much they're willing to pay for him. Um, you know, I'm thinking ballpark, like four to 5 million a year sort of is, is sort of where I think sort of the cap is where the Falcons would be willing to, to pay for Bruce Irvin. You know, maybe they can get him for cheaper than that. I have no idea. They only paid him 3 million um, or one and a half million for half a season, which is, you know, works out for 3 million over the course of an entire season. So um, maybe they can get him at a, discount relative to that. So we got a lot to say about Vic Beasley coming up on this podcast, but, uh, you know, trade season is not necessarily going on in the NFL, but it is the off season. And that means you can check out two draft related podcasts on the lockdown podcast network. One is the lockdown NFL draft podcast with host John Ledger and Trevor Sycamore. The other is the draft dudes podcast with host Kyle Krabs and recent lockdown Falcons guest, Joe Marino, find them wherever you get your Locked On podcasts, as well as at thedraftnetwork.com, where you can find those guys' written content, as well as several other uh, great draft analysts. Again, that's thedraftnetwork.com, your team every day. So let's talk Vic Beasley, man. Like, again, I could I could sit here and spend two hours talking about Vic Beasley. So, uh, you know, we, we might have to do that. We might have to just basically, I'm going to give you the best 15 minutes I can give you right now, and then, you know... I got an hour and 45 minutes of, of additional content that we can spread out over the next six months. Um, so I think, you know, looking at Big Beasley and, you know, going back to if you want me to talk about his contract situation, again, I talked about that on Monday. Um, but I think if you look at his 2018 season, he was OK. Like, you know, he did some positive things, um, but I just didn't see a consistent pass rusher. I didn't see a guy that could consistently sort of disrupt and affect the quarterback, um, you know, one of the narratives that you've heard out there and I've talked about sort of is 
you know, the fact that Vic Beasley played better in the second half of the season. I think that stems from the fact that four out of the five sacks that he finished 2018 with occurred over the final seven games. And as often is the case with Vic Beasley, people tend to only focus on the sack production as a measure of his quality. And I think that is a little bit misleading as it has been throughout his career and certainly in this case, because when you look at the number of pressures, which, you know, pressures are a little bit more effective at sort of, uh, measuring sustainability, at least as a pass rusher. He only had 10 pressures in that seven-game span. You compare that to the first seven games of the season where Vic Beasley had 20 pressures, which was tied for the team lead alongside Tack McKinley. Now, before you say, oh, well, Vic Beasley and Tack McKinley both had really strong starts because of the pressures, well, you know, Vic had a lot more opportunities to rush the quarterback due to the injuries that Tack faced. And so if you apply Tack's pressure rate to what how many snaps Vic Beasley played, Vic Beasley probably should have had 26 pressures, um, so, you know, he was better, but like, he, you know, there was still room for growth in terms of, you know, being that reliable pass rusher there at the beginning of the season. So I think that goes to show that the idea that Vic Beasley was better in the second half of the season is kind of a lie. But, um, you know, in, in my own film study says that as well. So I think it's basically after the first half, of the, after the bye week, sort of his production fell off a cliff. The cause of that, I, I can't necessarily speculate, but, um, you know, I, I think it sort of speaks to, um, you know, the thing I noticed on film and, you know, whether this was the cause or not, uh, again, I'm not going to necessarily say, but, you know, I think if you're this type of player that I'm going to describe in a moment, it's probably not going to lead you to be the most consistent player. So for me, at least with Vic Beasley and the, the problem I saw watching the film of him is just how unrefined and unpolished he is. He's a great athlete, which I've mentioned a number of times. He has great speed, but because he doesn't really have good footwork or really any technique whatsoever to speak of, you don't get the most out of that athleticism. You know, athleticism is a foundation for being an effective pass rusher in the NFL. You need it to be a high-level pass rusher in the NFL, but it's only really the starting point, not necessarily the thing that can sort of be your entirety unless you're like a Julius Peppers or Jadavian Clowney type of freak that's just a you know six eight and two hundred and eighty pounds and thirty six inch arms or whatever like that's different. Vic Beasley obviously doesn't have that type of uh, freaky tools in his uh, arsenal. You know, being six two two thirty and, and being you know quick and explosive and all those sorts of things. But without the length, without the core strength, without the power, uh, all those sorts of things, you know. Uh, it, it doesn't really help him in a regard. And so one of the things I noticed watching the film is sort of his footwork is not good. He takes these sort of short choppy steps that would indicate that he's gearing up for a bull rush as opposed to trying to get, you know, to cover as much ground as you would preferably want from a guy that's a speed rusher. Um, and then the other problem that he has is he doesn't really use his hands whatsoever. He's trying to, when, when offensive linemen are trying to punch him and, and try to redirect him, when he does use that speed, he's trying to duck and, and basically dodge the punch as opposed to using his hands to slap and chop down those hands as the better pass rushers do. Um, and so what that leads to is, you know, the perception that I've heard many people say is like, oh, Vic Beasley doesn't have a good motor um, and he quits on plays or whatnot. And I think that's not true at all. I think Vic Beasley's motor is very good. I think what people are seeing, those instances where Vic Beasley, you know, tries to get off the ball and then gets sort of stops midway through his rush, 
is that's indica- indicative of the fact that he doesn't have a plan. And what happens is Vic Beasley's, you know, going through his head. I'm guessing that he's thinking, okay, I'm going to beat this guy off the snap. Um, and because he doesn't have great footwork, he doesn't get the best jump off the ball um, to sort of cover as, as much ground as he can to use his speed rush in that way. And then because he doesn't use his hands, he doesn't really have counters. So when that offensive tackle who knows the fastball is coming, because that's basically all Vic Beasley can throw at a guy, um, is able to time that fastball and be able to stay in front of his speed, um, he doesn't really have a counter to go against that. And so then he gets stuck. And he's just trying to like figure out on the fly, like, what do I do? And then the offensive tackle's already got a hold on him. And because the ball's already coming out in, you know, two to three seconds, uh, you know, by then it's too late. And, and you have sort of those classic plays where you sort of just see Vic Beasy seemingly looking like he's just standing there, um, you know, just trying to do whatever he's trying to do at that point. So I think that's really sort of the root cause, you know, the lack of technique, the, la- the poor footwork. Are, are sort of the root cause of many of the issues that Vic Beasley has had. And I just don't think that's really developed at all over the last three, four years um, since he came into the league. And I, I think that's why we've seen these sort of diminishing returns um, with Vic Beasley over the last couple of years. And, you know, my hope is that, you know, maybe he can give a call to Chuck Smith or, or some other pass rushing coach this offseason and really put in the work. Um, to develop, start to develop those things. But unfortunately, because he seemingly hasn't necessarily been working on those things for the last couple of years, you're basically only going to get one year's worth of offseason work rather than what you should be having, um, which is like four to five years of, of cumulative production and work of offseason work. So that would potentially pay off in a major way in 2019. So, um, you know, I think the Falcons are sort of believing that they're justified in keeping them. I will make the case for why they may feel justified. Let me just say up front, I don't feel this way, but I will make the case. You know, I'm always trying to be fair and balanced, like my good friends at Fox News. Um, I think the reason why the Falcons are sort of keen on keeping Vic Beasley, not only is because he's got talent and potential, um, again, if he can refine some of these things, but also because of his youth. And whatnot. I think the Falcons are sort of afraid of the concept of sort of Vic Beasley, them getting rid of Vic Beasley and him going somewhere, you know, because he's probably going to play another five to seven years and turning into a productive pass rusher for somebody else uh, rather than them. And they would sort of miss out on that sort of production simply because they were a little bit too quick to sort of, you know, pull the the um, cord on the parachute, I guess you could say. Um, And so I, I think there's a world where Vic Beasley does get like double digit sacks in 2019. And the reason why I think that is, is because when you actually look at his production uh, as far as sacks and, and sort of quarterback hits go, like it's not that unfathomable that he could sort of get double digit sacks. Because what's interesting about Vic Beasley's production is you go back to 2016, five of his 15 and a half sacks were sort of on, on uh, cleanup sacks. Um, in 2017, five of his six sacks were cleanup sacks. And this past year, three out of his five sacks were cleanup sacks. And what we mean by cleanup sacks are basically times when the quarterback either steps up in the pocket or breaks out of the pocket to sort of try to extend plays or start to become a runner. And Vic Beasley with his 4-4 speed, you know, no quarterback other than maybe Lamar Jackson could potentially run away from him. So Vic Beasley gets a lot of production that way because once the quarterback turns into a runner, Vic Beasley can easily chase him down and sack him 
from behind and, and has gotten a lot of production over the last three years. And that's been probably arguably his most reliable production that he's had over the last three years, particularly the last two years. Um, and then sort of you, if you expand to not just look at sacks, um, but also hits, um, he had five sacks this year. Uh, and three hits this year. And so the three sacks were cleanup sacks. One of his hit was also a cleanup sack. Um, and then you look at uh, another one of his hits came on a stunt um, against Washington. And, um, you know, uh, two of his sacks in 2016 were also on stunts. Um, and then you look at the last two sacks that Beasley had this past season and one of the hits this past season, the two sacks came against uh, Ryan Reichek on a speed rush where he got a really good jump on the ball. And I think, you know, and one of the other things that you probably noticed with Vic Beasley, he got a lot of offsides this year because I think he has, instead of having good footwork to get uh, the best jump possible, he started to sort of rely on trying to time the snap perfectly in order to sort of compensate for the fact that his footwork isn't great. So that's something that he needs. That's another indicator that he isn't necessarily technically as explosive as he as he should be but you know that ram check sack was a speed rush he got another sack on an inside move against um lyle collins where he just basically where collins sort of overset and beasley used his speed to sort of juke inside and, and go inside and, and take a you know straight line path to the quarterback and got a nice sack on Dak prescott and then he got another uh hit on the quarterback against pittsburgh where he used a speed rush to to run past Ali Villanueva and basically was a half step behind uh, getting a sack strip on um, Ben Roethlisberger from behind. But unfortunately, Big Ben was able to get rid of the ball uh, to sort of complete a pass. But the point of that is sort of outlining sort of if you look at the eight hits that Vic Beasley had, you know, five of them were either cleanup sacks or manufactured pressure, which was what I'm referring to when I'm talking about stunts, where that's really scheme that's getting the pressure, not necessarily the individual player requiring, you know, Vic Beasley's very good on stunts, again, because of how fast he is, and it's really hard for guards to, to adjust quick enough to handle a guy that can run a 4-4, like he can, um, you know, or like, let's, let's, again, let's say he does exactly what he did in 2016, where five cleanup sacks, and then two sacks off of stunts. So that's seven right there. Then you look at his other, basically that means the only way, you know, Vic Beasley could get double-digit sacks, but all he has to do is get three quote-unquote legit sacks, if you want to call them that, where he actually has to beat an offensive tackle. Um, and again, in 2017, one of his sacks against Darrell Williams was that. In 2018, two of his sacks were that. And then, so, you know, it seems a linear curve going upward. So it's feasible that three of his sacks could be that in 2019. And particularly when you look at some of this, the teams that the Falcons are scheduled to play, a lot of teams like Houston and um, Jacksonville, Minnesota, uh, Arizona, a lot of these teams that have big question marks uh, on their offensive line and potentially at right tackle, uh, several of those teams could be starting rookies. And, you know, another issue that Vic Beasley has been successful at creating, um, particularly in 2016, was against low-level offensive tackles. And so if he's facing a bunch of rookies, then they're not going to necessarily know what's coming as far as his, his speed rush is going. And so maybe he can take advantage of those guys a little bit more. And so the point is, like, it wouldn't totally shock me if Vic Beasley had 10 or 11 sacks in 2019. And you would probably hear, like, this narrative, oh, I mean, Vic Beasley had a rebound season. The Falcons were right. And I, was, uh, and I would just basically sit here and say that, like, 
basically he was marginally better than he had been in the last couple of years because all he did was basically have, instead of two legit sacks, he's had three legit sacks, which isn't necessarily a sign of a prolific pass rusher, but, you know, the argument I guess the Falcons would make is beggars can't be choosers at this point. So, um, you know, for me at least with Vic Beasley, I think his ideal role is playing that hybrid Sam linebacker where he can dabble as a pass rusher but not be a primary asset there. I don't think he's the type of the caliber of player that deserves, you know, the amount of reps that he's gotten over the years, which is, you know, being given 30 to 40 opportunities to rush the quarterback. You know, that that number should be basically cut in half, if you ask me, um, which is sort of the role that Dwight Freeney had in 2016, the role that Tack McKinley had in 2017 and Bruce Irvin had this past year, I feel like that's the ideal role for Vic Beasley, which in my opinion, requires the Falcons to make an upgrade there um, um, at that edge rusher opposite tack and then have Vic Beasley sort of be their third wheel as far as edge rushers go. Um, just cause I don't, I just don't think he can create reliable pressure there. And I think because of the athleticism things and, you know, you don't necessarily need to be a great technician to be an effective linebacker in the league. Um, I think he does a, a pretty good job of setting the edge and whatnot, and I think his coverage upside is is much better than people think. Uh, when he's gotten the opportunities to play man coverage against tight ends and running backs, he's done an excellent job there. Uh, his zone coverage is a little iffy, but that, I think that's largely due to the fact that he doesn't know what he's doing and just doesn't have a lot of experience doing dropping in, in, in the coverage and whatnot uh, in this open space, um, which, again, if you work on it, I think he can get much better there. Um, the issue with him playing linebacker, at least, is the tackling. And if you look at his um, pro football focus grade, many people will be like, oh, Vic Beasley was like the lowest rated edge rusher in the league, which he was. I think maybe if he wasn't the lowest, he was second lowest. Um, but if you really look at his grade, the reason for that is, is because of how poor his tackling was. And according to pro football focus, his tackling efficiency metric, he was the most inefficient tackler in the entire NFL uh, this past year. If you're discounting guys that, you know, basically played like 20 snaps um, and missed a tackle. Um, but basically, Vic Beasley was the the worst tackler in the league. And so, you know, for a coaching staff that believes that they can teach tackling, you know, we we can question whether the results sort of uh, merit that belief <laughs> over the last couple of years. But, um, you know, at least in theory, that the Falcons could at least coach him up in that re- regard to at least make him passable. So I still believe in his potential as a linebacker, but it doesn't seem that the Falcons necessarily believe in it. So we'll have to sort of see what that role they envisioned him in. I think looking at this edge rusher group to wrap up here, I think it's clear that, or at least my suspicion is we know Tack's going to be back. It seems very likely that Vic is going to be back unless the Falcons somehow manage to surprise us from here on out. Um, again, I think there's a good chance that Irvin's going to be back, but there's obviously if Irvin walks, then they're going to need to add two edge rushers this offseason. I think it's likely that one of those will come in free agency, and that's one of the reasons why I think Irvin is sort of the um, he's Irvin's probably the easiest guy to get, uh, presumably uh, in free agency. And then I, I imagine the Falcons will draft an edge rusher. How high they draft the edge rusher remains to be seen. Um, it could be the first round pick. It could be their fourth round pick. I think there's a good chance at some point they'll pull the trigger on an edge rusher in those first three or four rounds of the draft. You know, but who knows um, when it comes to this team, it's particularly with their draft plans. Uh, so, you know, I'm 
I can wrap my, you know, or I can't wrap my head around a lot of possibilities. I'm trying to be as open-minded as possible when it comes to the draft of the Falcons, although I'm sure when we get to April, I will be complaining up a storm about whatever choices they decided <laughs> to make. But, um, you know, if it was me, basically, like, if I was making the choice, my picks would basically be like, let's go, like, tack Vic, Brandon Graham, and, and say, like, a first-round pick, like Brian Burns or something. As the four edge rushers, I would probably target if if, if I can't possibly cut Vic Beasley, um, if I'm stuck with that. But, you know, there's like a, to me, like the worst case scenario for the Falcons is like they go tack Vic Irvin and say like a fourth round pick. And like that to me is just kind of like, wow, you 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 really did not make any uh, <laughs> attempt to improve this this position group. So I think the Falcons will make an attempt, but how successful they are at sort of improving that group remains to be seen so um there you have it guys um i guess we'll be back potentially tomorrow with a linebacker preview or review i'm sorry um talking about the great Deion jones and and the the even greater duke riley among others Uh, (laughs) um you know but you never know the falcons might do something else that requires me to sort of do a quick rapid reaction but uh the plan is to do linebackers tomorrow uh the plan is to do a q a on monday uh, if you guys send in your questions to Locked On Falcons on either uh, Facebook or Twitter, or you can send them via email, LockedOnFalcons at mail.com. You can also leave a comment at FalcFans.com to submit those questions or to just submit any type of feedback that you want to give me, how much you love the show, how much you may or may not like the show, any opinions that I have spouted on this podcast as of late that you disagree with. I'm sure there are plenty. Um, and I'm open to hearing all of that type of stuff. Um, and of course you go on iTunes and give five-star reviews as well. So, uh, there you have it guys. We'll be back tomorrow with an episode of the lockdown Falcons. What that episode entails remains to be seen. Oh wait, no, wait, I'm sorry guys. I forgot what day it is. No, we're not coming back tomorrow because tomorrow's going to be Saturday. Like I, I forgot what day it is. My, this has been a long week. I'm sorry. So no, we're not coming back tomorrow with a linebacker. We're going to do linebackers either on Monday or on Tuesday. I don't know, man. Okay, I'm sorry, guys. It's, I'm so out of it. I'm looking at the calendar. Wait, wait. What's, what's happening tomorrow? No, okay. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> no, no show tomorrow. We're doing the linebackers next week. It's either going to be Monday or Tuesday. If you guys send it, submit questions, we will do a Monday mailbag. Uh, if not, we'll do the linebackers. So it's up to you guys. You send in those questions. We'll do the mailbag. If you don't send in the questions, clearly you want me to get to those linebackers. And get all my Duke Riley takes. I know you're eagerly anticipating that. So until then, guys. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.